Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow, now streaming on Paramount Plus, only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. Appreciate everyone for joining us here as we get ready with a very, very busy time of the year here in Happy Valley. We knew spring practice was just around the corner when we stepped aside for some vacation time. We did not have a podcast episode last week. We did not know that the Penn State Nittany Lions basketball program would be crashing the party in March Madness, qualifying for its first NCAA tournament appearance since 2011. Mark Brennan, Daniel Gowan were on hand in Chicago during a memorable Big Ten tournament run. They're here to break it down. We'll talk a lot about spring football in just a moment as well. We also have a defensive line coach revealed in Dion Barnes promoted within the program. We have a lot to get to, but I was telling you guys before we recorded, I've been doing this show now going back to 2018. Never thought on the first day of spring football practice, our headliner conversation would be Nittany Lions basketball. Mark Brennan, you have watched a ton of hoops from this program over the years. A long time, 12 years since that last opportunity to play in this tournament. It looked like they were in a good shape to do so right before COVID struck in 2020. But here they are. You're both heading to Des Moines, Iowa. And this team's got a date with Texas A&M late Thursday night out there. Yeah, you know, one of the really cool things, and uh, we, we they gave us access to the watch party, which I thought was really, uh, you know, it, it was it was a tough situation for Penn State coming off just a heart-wrenching loss. Uh, but having that access and being there, one of the things I thought was pretty cool was being able to talk to uh, Seth Lundy and Miles Dredd, two guys who were part of that 2020 team that was going, going to go to the NCAA tournament. And, you know, talk about having your hearts ripped out. You know, that impacted everybody across the nation. But Penn State was, you know, th this isn't like Duke or or Purdue or, or you know, teams that are in the tournament every single year. This is a team that had to fight and, and scratch and claw and didn't get to do it. So to have those two guys kind of carry the mantle is pretty cool. But I, I also think that everybody really need, needs to take a step back here and – the job that Micah Shrewsbury has done in two years, I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, when you think of where this program was when he took over, I mean, as soon as he took over, half the roster goes into the NCAA transfer portal. You know, they're able to reel a couple of keys, key guys back in John Hara, who was a big part of last year's team, and obviously Seth Lundy, a big part of the last couple of years. But then to go out and do what they did in the portal – uh, was amazing to add pieces, you know, on the recruiting front, even though those kids haven't had as much of an impact. Uh, that's kind of the new normal. Uh, I just think being able to, to, to switch it that quickly and work to the strengths of the players that you were able to land. I mean, if you think about it, Micah Shrewsbury two seasons ago, not last season, was one of the primary assistant coaches on that Purdue team that had uh, Zach Eady and and is it Williams? I'm forgetting who was the other big guy. Um, Travion Williams. Yeah, Travion Williams. You know, a, a team built around big guys, and he comes in and realizes what he has here, and and builds this team around three point shooting and and not turning the ball over, and and being patient. It's not a super athletic team, and to to, to pry ten Big Ten wins and then three more in a tournament. I mean, wow. So, yeah, it was a disappointing loss to Purdue, a very difficult loss, but I don't think anybody should lose sight of how amazing the job that Shrewsbury, his staff, and these players did getting them to this NCAA tournament. 
Micah Shrewsbury's first season as head coach of the Nittany Lions resulted in a 14 and 17 record, 9 and 14 mark against conference opponents overall. This year, as Mark referenced, uh, three more of those conference wins tacked on in the postseason, 13 and 11 against Big Ten competition, 22 and 13 overall is how they'll meet Texas A&M on Thursday night. And before we focus on that matchup, which we will a little bit here in this episode and a little bit, a, a lot more uh, later this week when you guys are settled in Des Moines, uh, when we get our final preview and prediction for that matchup from you, let's look back at Chicago. And Daniel, you joked that you guys ended up taking up residency out in Illinois. Um, it was an open-ended trip for you. You weren't sure how much Penn State basketball you'd be watching. You certainly got your fill. You have followed every step of the way uh, this team. Uh, you were on the road down in College Park at, at Maryland when they suffered a loss in February that seemed to maybe take any wind out of their seals that they might need. Lo and behold, here they are in the tournament. What do you think this, I guess, 10-day stretch uh, uh, really showed about the program? And, and are you surprised that they had this in the reserve, in the tank, to pull out and get to the finish line like this? Yeah, I mean, this you know past 10 days of basketball uh, have been you know, really, actually, these past two weeks, 14 days have been very wild because you have Cam Winters' game-winning shot against Northwestern on March 1st. A couple of days later, the big comeback against Maryland. Uh, and then this run uh, out in, in Chicago that I, I really didn't see coming. I thought that the Illinois matchup was pretty good for them. Um, and then I thought that Northwestern was also another good matchup for them too. But I think to see what they did against Indiana – uh, even though they almost coughed it up there at the end and it got, uh, you know, to, to quote Miles Dredd, it got hot uh, out there, um, you know, to to close like that and then be able to do what they did down the stretch against Purdue. I think it shows a team that you know has a lot left in the tank, a team that, you know, to, to be cliche, isn't going to give up, um, isn't going to pack it in. I mean, when they were down by 17 with 618 left against Purdue, you know, I kind of kicked it into to writing mode um, and everything. And, I think the fact that they had a chance to win uh, at the end, you know, really speaks to the the culture. And on top of that, it speaks to the players and their abilities, what they're able to do. You know, Evan Mahaffey barely plays uh, in the tournament uh, and then comes up with a very clutch steal uh, at the end of the Purdue game to help bring them within a basket. Yeah, I think that you just really saw kind of the, you know, what Shrewsbury has built and it really kind of, all came to fruition uh, th this week in Chicago. And I think it sets them up very nicely uh, for, you know, what they're going to see, uh, you know, in the NCAA tournament environment. Their last game of February, guys, you remember it well, coughed up a huge lead against Rutgers. Uh, no. the, pan the panic button was slammed over and over again, and I think a lot of people wrote off the possibility of this kind of result in getting into the tournament, maybe shifted focus to the NIT. Um, when you look at what they've done since then, of course, they're 5-1 they're, they're and one since then, um, but you look at even before that, 8-2 and two in, the, in the last 10 games since that loss at Maryland, which was their fourth consecutive loss, to open February. And when I look at, at, at the, the production across the board here, you look at the leading score during this win streak in Big Ten play following the Rutgers game. It's Cameron Winter with 24 against Northwestern. Of course, he came up with late game heroics. Pickett with 16 against Maryland. Funk with 20 against Illinois. Lundy with 16 against Northwestern. Pickett with 28 against Indiana. Lundy with 19 against Purdue. Mark, we have spent so much time this season discussing the All-American candidacy of Jalen Pickett, which is an historic uh, season for him for this program. But what do you make of the other players who have stepped up along the way and the way they were able to, I guess, distribute uh, some of that scoring when it mattered most? Yeah, one thing I wanted to touch on first, you mentioned Rutgers. And at the time of that game, I mean, Penn State, that was a brutal, brutal loss. And Rutgers at that point was 18 and 11 and 10 and 8. And everybody figured Rutgers was in. And let me give you a little behind the scenes uh, from the watch party. So Penn State, it's announced that Penn State's in. The players go crazy. They do a breakout session with three of the players, uh, Miles Dredd, um, Lundy and Funk. And then they have Micah Shrewsbury do a breakout. As we're talking to Shrewsbury, the selection show ends and there's a TV and all the reporters are interviewing Shrewsbury and looking at the TV for who didn't make it. And Rutgers is up there and it was like, what? Who could have even imagined? And I'm not saying this to get on Rutgers, but when, when that game at the Jordan Center happened, 
it's like everybody thought Penn State was done and Rutgers was going to be easily in the tournament. And unfortunately for Rutgers, they were impacted by a very difficult injury to one of their better players. And, and, and that's, that's a very tough situation that they didn't make it. I think the, the committee, in effect, said that. But to go back to your that, – that's just kind of some behind the scenes. To go back to your question, I think it all goes back to Pickett. And here's why. Because what did we see this season? There were times when teams decided to, okay, we're going to try to cover him one-on-one. And what did he do? He destroyed them. And then there were times when teams attempted to take him out of his game. And what did and what did uh, Jalen Pickett do? He destroyed them by passing to his teammates. I mean, it's it's unbelievable if you look uh, in, fr- from the Northwestern game at Northwestern, Maryland, Illinois, and then Northwestern in the tournament. You know, he he was taking very few shots. He didn't have more than 10 two point shots in any of those games. Then Indiana tries its luck, and I don't know what they were thinking. You know, guarding him, you know, straight up. And I, I know what they were thinking. They were thinking Penn State had 18 threes against them uh, in, in a blowout at the Jordan Center. But then, so he he gets man, man coverage. And what does he do? 16 two-point shots and destroys them for, for 28 points. And I think the, the, the thing that makes him a star, the thing that makes him one of the very best, and I'm going to wait till after the season until I wrap my head around all this, but I've seen a lot of Penn State basketball, and he's in the top two, three players. And the reason he's so good is because he is able to adjust to all of these different situations. If he needs to be the man scoring, he could be the man. If he needs to set up his teammates, he's willing to sacrifice his scoring. He doesn't care. He wants to win. And that's why he is so good, and that's why he's an All-American. And I was laughing after the win at Big Ten Tournament, at the Big Ten Tournament over Illinois. And and, and Underwood, you know, the coach of, of, of Illinois is like, well, he's playing booty ball. He's, he dribbles it for 13 seconds. Well, guess what? Stop him. And you know why Underwood was complaining? Because if you go and try to stop him, what's he going to do? He's going to throw the ball to his teammates who are going to destroy you. And, and what does that mean? That's why he's an All-American. It's like when you watch Zach Eady for Purdue, okay? Everybody's like, well, yes, stop him. Yeah, you, you can't stop him. That's why he's an All-American. So, you know, Brad Underwood, stop complaining about Pickett's game and have respect for what he's able to do. I mean, I just – it's amazing. And, and – Shrewsbury was smart enough to surround him. You know, obviously Lundy and Dredd were both here. But then to go out and get Winter and Funk, and then, you know, the one guy who was really key down the stretch was was Winter because he was out of it toward, you know, in, in February, early February. And then he found it, and then all of a sudden now you have all these weapons, and that makes the entire team that much more dangerous. But But to me, Pickett – He's either going to beat you or he's going to allow his teammates to beat you, and that's why he's great. Yeah, and with, with the exception of, of that 28-point performance in Indiana, it didn't need to go bonkers on the stat sheet for a point department. Uh, of course, when they were 5-9 and nine in Big Ten play, riding a four-game losing streak in February, he came up with 41 against Illinois, followed by 32 against Minnesota. In both of those matchups, though, to Mark's point, eight assists both times around. Uh Pickett is clearly, when we look back 10, five years from now and on this run to the NCAA tournament, he's going to be the face of that, along with Micah Shrewsbury. But can you cast the spotlight, Daniel Gallon, on some of the players that you witnessed make their case for being part of that long-term legacy of this group out in Chicago? And these players who, quite frankly, are going to be X-factors if Penn State wants to keep playing basketball beyond Thursday night. I thought in the Purdue game, Miles Dredd was someone who who showed up very well in, in, in the biggest game of the year. You know, they were really struggling f- uh, from three-point range early in the game. Um, he had two early ones that kind of set a tone for them and, you know, kind of helped them when they were they were treading water um, a little bit. But you know, I, And Dredd, too. I mean, you <laughs> you saw him banging with those big guys, every, you know, just night in, night out, you know four games in four days uh, having to, you know, go up against, uh, you know, some of the bigger guys in the big 10. Uh, it was funny on, on Sunday morning, I was riding the elevator down uh, and he got on 
uh, I think on the 19th floor and then he got off at the 18th floor and there were some, some other people on the elevator who, who started laughing uh, a little bit, you know, like, why did he take the, the elevator down one floor? And I was like, oh, he's he's had a busy couple of days. Uh, he's, you know, he's he's been going through it a little bit, a little bit physically. But, you know, I think seeing someone like him, you know, really step up in that spot, you know, and in, in playing his role, uh, I thought was really big. You know, Funk is someone who, you know, whenever he releases it, you know, you almost feel like it's going to go in. Um, and when he gets hot, you know that a game can change really quickly. You know, that's why even when Penn State was down by, by 17 against Purdue, you know, their comeback happened a little bit differently. But in your head, you're still like, all right, it's a 17 point game. If they get three quick threes, it's down to eight. And suddenly the the complexion changes a little bit. Um, and, you know, like Mark said, you know, Cam Winter uh, is someone who has really come on strong. And I thought that his performance on Sunday against Purdue was really gutsy. Um, you know, we saw him take a pretty bad spill uh, late against Indiana. Um, when he was on the bench, he was wearing a wrap on his leg. Um, and, you know, it didn't really seem like he was moving it, you know, quite the same way that he was earlier in the tournament. But I think that he is kind of, you know, emerged into what Penn State thought they might be getting with him in terms of the way that he can, he could contribute, what he could add. Um, and then, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Seth Lundy, uh, who is, you know, definitely one of my, you know, I think, favorite players to watch on this team. I mean, you saw some of the, you know, the, the shots that he took, um, you know, the three pointers, you know, the willingness to shoot from deep, the willingness to shoot uh, with a hand in his face. Um, you know, getting it, seeing those shots go down for him, you know, especially given what he went through at the end of the season with that Rutgers game, uh, I thought was, was really cool to see. And, you know, I think that it validated Micah Shrewsbury a little bit and it validated Lundy's performance where he is a guy that you want to keep shooting because he can make some of those ridiculous shots that, you know, not necessarily anyone else on the team can. So I think that when you, you know, look back, you know, I think that Pickett is obviously going to be the headliner, but I think it's, you know, all of these guys have had their moments. Um, you, you even think back to the Clemson game where Andrew Funk hit that three pointer at the end to send it to overtime, I believe. Um, you know, he's had his moments. Winter's had his moments. Lundy's had his moments. Uh, you know, Dread has been really steady. You know, I think this is a pretty cool um, total team effort from that group of upperclassmen. You've been banging the table for Lundy, I think, since December. And, of course, his status for next year is something that a lot of people are discussing right now as, as they want to see what Penn State can build off of this. And building off this is so important for Penn State, not just this week, but moving forward with the landscape of college athletics and what it takes in the arms race to compete at a high level, to put yourself in a spot where you are perennially in that discussion, uh, not just trying to ride the bubble to the finish line, but maybe competing for a Big Ten title during the regular season. It's a, a very tall ladder to climb. Mark, but Micah Shrewsbury speaking on Monday, he, he tried his best to speak. His voice was very hoarse after that run in Chicago, um, but he talked about seizing on this opportunity, um, being a team that, that 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 makes this normal instead of the outlier. Where do you feel Penn State, not just this week, but what is the most important thing for this university? AD Pat Kraft, I don't know if he thought he would end up with an NCAA tournament appearance in his first year. What's the next step to make sure this doesn't go by the wayside as a nice story that happened one, once upon a time, instead maybe a stepping stone toward greater days ahead. I'll tell you what the next step is, making sure this guy's still your coach next year. That's I mean, that is the yes. next step. I mean, that's, you know, they better not mess around with this. And, and I think a huge part of that, you know, I, I think they have the money uh, that, you know, if, if they wanted to pay him more, you know, th that they could. Um there's always talk about facilities. I think the facilities have gotten better. They could probably be a little bit better, you know, take care of the assistant coaches, but they really have to position themselves. And this isn't just with basketball, but on the NIL front, you know, they, they have to get their act together. They have to be where they need to be on the NIL front, because that's what this is going to boil down to is it's not just being able to pay coaches, it's being able to put the, the 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 program in a position nil wise that I could compete with everybody else. I mean, he's shown an eye for talent, right? You know, he goes into, into the portal. You know, I was thinking about this, and Daniel, we haven't had a, a chance to discuss this. We didn't travel together, but you know, probably a conversation after the season. But you know, has there been 
more of a hidden gem out of the portal than Pickett. I mean, it's just amazing that you, you know you get this guy from from you know mid major and he becomes an All American. I mean, this isn't you know one of those kids going from North Car- from Northwestern to North Carolina or Duke. Uh, you know, th- this is a guy that that very few people knew about. And my point being is that this coach and this staff clearly have an eye for talent. And but it's going to take more than, oh, yeah, come to Penn State. They do it the Penn State way, whatever. I mean, you're going to have to be able to compete on the NIL front. And I think that is the single biggest challenge for Penn State basketball, Penn State sports in general. And I think everybody has to realize that as much as NIL needs to be a thing for all 31 sports or 32 or however many varsity sports they have, it better be a thing for football and basketball, which are your two moneymakers that allow you to have all of these other sports. So nobody's saying anything negative about all the other sports, but there are two sports that make a bunch of money. Football, which makes a, re- a a huge, gigantic amount of money, and basketball, which is a significant revenue producer as well. So they have to get where they need to be in that NIL space, and they need to do it pretty quickly because if you're in a position where you know you get to this spot and this guy somehow finds a different, you know, finds finds what he seems to be a better opportunity, what is that going to say about the program? But you know, we're not there yet. You know, let's enjoy this NCAA basketball tournament and we can kick all that stuff around. But, you know, Kraft and, and, and the administration and everybody better be thinking about that, you know, right now um, because, you know, it's it's coming sooner rather than later probably uh, in terms of people making decisions and whatnot. Yeah, I, I promise we'll make some room for a, a bit of a postseason autopsy on the on the podcast whenever Penn yeah. State's done playing basketball. Um, but but looking ahead, and, and we're just going to leave it here with, with just a couple more minutes on this, and, and we'll come back with a second episode this week and really dive into this matchup, what's ahead in Des Moines, when these guys are out there getting ready to cover it, because um, we do have to talk about some football on this episode. But, Daniel, I'll, I'll leave the basketball conversation with you here. Early outlook toward that Texas A&M matchup. They have the seven seed. Penn State has the 10. Uh, we heard from Micah Shrewsbury on Monday saying that Texas A&M rebounds like madmen. He says it's going to be a physical war. And that's pretty interesting when you've got a Penn State team coming off of what was a ton of wear and tear out in Chicago. Yeah, it's, it's a really, really interesting matchup. I, I think that the, the common consensus is that Texas A&M is one of the most underseeded teams in the entire tournament. Uh, based on what their body of work was over the course of, of the regular season uh, and to end up as a seven. Um, I think that a lot of people would saw them coming in a, a little bit higher at least, um, but it is going to be a, a pretty a pretty interesting matchup. And I think that what you mentioned about rebounding and, and Penn State's play on the boards is going to be you know, something to watch. I mean, I, I checked in Penn State. I don't think they're 363. Uh, in offensive rebounding anymore. I, I think they might be 362 uh, the last time I checked after going through the Big Ten tournament. Um, but I think that you know, that rebounding and, and playing underneath highlights someone who I thought had a really good tournament uh, in Kebajai, uh, the freshman big man who I think was pretty frustrating for fans to watch at various points over, over the year. Um, you know, it is tough sometimes to see those growing pains and that development happen in person in front of you, you know, in games that count. But I think that it's something that at this point, you know, has really paid off. You know, I thought that he really acquitted himself well. Um, I thought that, you know, he, you know, this isn't meant to be backhanded, but I thought he did his best against Zach Eady, um, which is all you can ask for when you're going up against someone that size and, and that talented. And so, I think that Kebajai early on with this matchup is someone that, you know, I come back to as a potential X factor. Um, And then, you know, you just kind of think about, you know, the legs, the four games in four days. Um, You know, I thought the better situation for Penn State would have been to get a Friday draw to get an extra day of rest. But at the same time, I, you know, I don't think Jalen Pickett cares. Um, I don't think Andrew Funk really cares about whether they have an extra day of, of rest or not. I think that, the way that they closed that Purdue game really is the window into how this team is operating and its attitude. And I think that we'll, you know, we'll see what that looks like uh, uh, come, come Thursday, but should be fun. Uh, and I'm you know really looking forward to it. 
All right, these guys will be out in Des Moines for the matchup on Thursday night. You'll be out there, in fact, by the end of the day, Wednesday. So they'll have coverage at lines247.com. There's going to be some availability out there. Micah Shrewsbury will speak, uh, an opportunity to check out some practice as well. So a lot going on. It's it's a bit of uncharted territory for us here on the Lions 24-7 podcast, but we look forward to hearing from you live on location at the NCAA basketball tournament. And of course, Penn State wrestling on its way to Tulsa Thursday through Sunday uh, for the NCAA championships in that sport. We'll have coverage of that at Lions 24-7 as well. So a lot going on. And oh, by the way, that football program that we tend to speak about quite a bit here on the podcast is back on the practice field this afternoon. In fact, we will be back on the practice field with them for a brief look at their first practice of spring ball uh, this afternoon. And we'll have photos and we'll have our observations and we'll be back into the swing of things. But before we get there and start breaking that down, Dion Barnes is Penn State's new defensive line coach. Uh, we discussed him at length a couple weeks ago when this job became open. John Scott headed to the NFL as a Detroit Lions assistant following three years on the job with Penn State. Um, Dion Barnes, as Tyler Calvaruso has written up and, and had talked about on this podcast, a lot of significant recruiting impact uh, in the city of Philadelphia, his native city, formerly with Northeast High School as a player, then as an assistant coach, as a defensive coordinator before he became a graduate assistant with Penn State back in 2020, three years in a GA role, and now was set to be an analyst this year, retained on the staff. A lot more than that, though. He's a position coach. He was informed of that decision, according to James Franklin, on Monday, along with the players in that position room. So that is a hell of a launch pad. If you watch the video of the reaction from the defensive meeting room, including Manny Diaz and all the players in there, to James Franklin giving this news, there's a lot of adrenaline pumping right now as they get back on the practice field. But we have a lot to learn about a guy who has not been a position coach at this level of college football or any level of college football. But, Mark, I, I caution everybody who's, who's you know, pointing at his age, pointing at his age. He's 30 years old. Ty Howell, now in his third year as tight ends coach, he was an analyst with Penn State when, that, when, when Tyler Bowen left and became an NFL assistant coach back in 2021. Ty Howell was 29 years old at the time. Now here in year three, certainly seems to have a solid foundation under him. And, and, and like Barnes, a letterman. James Franklin's loading up on these guys right now in team facilities. Yeah, I mean, and I think you touched on it with Tyler Calvaruso that 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 I mean, he has done just amazing work on a recruiting front as a, as a GA, uh, and 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 which is restricted hear, in what you can even do. Yeah, 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 and just to hear the, the and yeah, it's great that the guys in the room love him, but it's also you know to be able to get a feel for what you need to do from a recruiting perspective. He has those roots in Philadelphia, and you know, there's one thing I wanted to point out about Dion Barnes that I think a lot of people are forgetting. And this doesn't necessarily have anything to do with his coaching ability, but it has to do with his love for Penn State. And when everything went haywire here back in 2011, uh, you guys may or may not remember that. It was, it was kind of crazy uh, coaching change. And all of the love went to the guys who stayed, the seniors, the Motties, the Jordan Hills, the Ty Howells, uh, Matt McGloin, all the guys who stayed with Bill O'Brien. You know who else stayed? A group of true freshmen from 2011, the Super Six, Allen Robinson, Adrian Amos, Donovan Smith, Dion Barnes, Bill Belton, Kyle Carter. All impact players in their careers at Penn State. All were true freshmen when all that happened. And they stuck with Penn State. They could have transferred anywhere. And you hear those names. Three of those guys are still in the league. Dion had a run in the league. Those guys could have gone anywhere. And they stuck here, and Dion Barnes was part of that. And, and I think that's important in that you're looking at a guy, you know, like Ty Howell, who's now on the staff, who knows what it means to be, you know, kind of have this whole Penn State thing, and not just from one coach, but, you know, he was here under, under Paterno. He was here under – uh, 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 under O'Brien, and then he was, you know, here under Franklin. And, you know, why? Because of his love for Penn State. So I think there's really something to be said for that. But then, as James Franklin said today, he went out, and once his pro career was over, after after two or three years, I think two years in the league, uh, one year at, at a lower level, was grinding it out at the high school level. 
And then he gets the GA position. You used to only be able to be a GA for a couple years, but he's a GA here for three years. And I got news for you. These GAs are not making a lot of money, and they are working every bit as hard as the coaches who are making a lot of money. So if you're going to stay, stay in that for three years, that's like a testing ground. And if you're able to come out of that with your coaching chops, with your recruiting chops, and this far away from his master's degree – I think that all speaks extremely well. Now, how does that translate into him being the on-field coach? That's what, that's what remains to be seen, but it's very easy to see why James Franklin would take a little bit of a chance on a guy like this. And, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I, I think any coach that's going to come in, there are going to be areas that you view as serious strengths. And then, okay, well, we've never seen this from him. How is he going to react to being the coach, the primary coach in that room? I think he'll be fine. I like the hire. Uh, again, I like what he's been able to do recruiting-wise from what we've seen on of him on the field, uh, You know, just the interactions with the players, what we've seen of him at camps. I, I, all that is positive to me, but there's a little bit of an unknown, and it's going to be kind of fun to watch that during the spring, uh, off-season during camps and whatnot, and then once the preseason gets here. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. As soon as the, the news surfaced that John Scott was leaving for the NFL, um, you, you could you could hear it, you could sense it. Uh, people within that facility, the people who are going to be playing under that position, coach, the parents who are involved in those kind of discussions and want to make sure their kid has a good leader. There was a lot of people in the room in the building already vouching for this guy, and that goes a long way. But James Franklin made it a point just because you're a likable person. Because you're a letterman doesn't mean we're just going to hand you this huge promotion, life-changing kind of promotion at potentially the risk of jeopardizing what is a national championship kind of ambition here in 2023. And so Franklin did his diligence, talked about making a ton of phone calls, reaching out to a lot of college coaches, NFL assistants. Uh, ultimately, Deion Barnes got an interview too, and very much wowed uh, James Franklin there really impressed Manny Diaz and was able, ultimately they circle back and we're going to stick with a guy who we already got under our roof. Uh, but it certainly wasn't a, a pass the baton, John, on your way out of town to, to Dion. And it's as simple as that. Uh, and James Franklin talked about wanting to come up with an answer, a solution before this team went on spring break, which wasn't that much time. I think it was maybe three or four days to try to get something done before spring break. Once that happened, he felt like he wasn't going to, you know, release any information, announce anything until his players were back in town and he could do it in person with them, which he did on Monday as classes got back underway here in Happy Valley. So it was an interesting approach that led to a, you know, a guy that a lot of people were immediately pointing to a couple of weeks ago. And we had him uh, you know, right there. He was the first name that we mentioned out of 10, I think, on our on our board of potential candidates a couple of weeks ago that we posted to the site. And, and But there's not often a, a time where you can put an internal candidate on a board like that they did. They were able to do it. And he went from candidate to the guy uh, pretty quickly. Whether or not there were a couple wish list options for James Franklin that ultimately passed on the opportunity or they couldn't reach a conclusion and it ended up with Deion Barnes, that's the kind of uh, conversation that James Franklin is not going to have with us in a setting like this. But you can tell they are fired up about this promotion for Deion Barnes uh, for him, for the team. We've got to see it, but we, as we discussed, Daniel, a couple of weeks ago and breaking down what the new defensive line coach would inherit, he is getting a really talented crop of players. You lose a couple of veterans in P.J. Mustafer and Nick Tarburn, who've played a bunch of Big Ten football, 
but you've got some real experience back at defensive end with Chop Robinson and Adiza Isaac. Really look like they could be a premier force as bookends. And then a defensive tackle, got a lot of guys who played football. Kaziah Izzard, Devon Ellis, uh, of course, Hakeem Beeman as a starter last year. And, oh, by the way, a couple major breakout potential guys in Denied Dennis Sutton, Zane Durant. So throw it all toward Deion Barnes. You give him the keys. We know Torrance Brown, a former player for Penn State, is now kind of following that similar path. He's in town as a graduate assistant. He'll be helping Deion Barnes in this group. The, you know, the beat goes on. But there is a lot to like at what Deion Barnes has at his disposal in this room. And if it proves to be a boom hire for Penn State and for Deion Barnes, this is one you look back at five, six, seven years and you think, this is a game-changing kind of pivot move for you on your staff because it's hard to poach away at Deion Barnes. He could become a tremendous asset as a recruiter, as a coach, and everyone across the country would love him. But for reasons that Mark Brennan just laid out, he is going to be on like just about any other assistant on your staff because of his history here in Happy Valley. Definitely. I, I think that bringing, you know, give, elevating him to this spot – you know, it, it really keeps the the continuity and some of the the momentum I think that we saw from that uh, defensive line group last season. You know, with the way that Adisa Isaac and, and Chop Robinson were coming along, you know, with the early flashes that we saw from Zane Durant and Denai Dennis Sutton. You know, I think that in having Barnes in this role, he already knows these guys. He already knows what makes them tick. Um, you know, you know, later today they can hit the ground running as opposed to if it was a, a newer coach, you'd have, you know, a feeling out period and, and trying to, to mesh there. So I think that that's another perspective, you know, in terms of continuity, speeding things up a little bit. Um, I think that's where the, the Barnes hire, uh, I think is a, is a really good one, but you know, I was, it was really interesting to hear James Franklin talk about it today and, you know, the process and how thorough he tried to be and, you know, really emphasizing the fact that, you know, Dion Barnes earned this job. And Manny Diaz said something similar in that video that the that the team put out, um, and I think that I think that you need to have that credibility, and I think that the players need to see that, um, and I think that that makes a, a good impression. And you know, I think that you know, Deion Barnes is in you know every position to succeed. You know, there is the element where you know he has never done this before. Um, you know, when you talk about Ty Howell making that move. He had some extensive experience, uh, I think, at the FCS level um, as an offensive coordinator, even. You know, so this is a little bit new for Deion Barnes, but I think the fact that he's been around for the three years instead of just one or two, um, I think he knows how things work. He knows James Franklin. He knows the staff. You know, that defensive coaching staff between Manny Diaz, Terry Smith, Anthony Poindexter, you've got some real veterans there who have you know, seen a lot and done a lot. Um, I think that it's it's kind of hard to find, uh, you know, a better situation for a first-time position coach at the college level you know, than what Deion Barnes is in right now. And this is still a position room, guys, that I think you could see impacted by that upcoming post-spring ball wave of transfer. Uh, we know that Penn State's probably going to say goodbye to some players from the current roster because that's how it works after spring ball, but they'll be looking around as well, and I think we're eyeing up specifically the interior of this defensive front, uh, and, and so we'll see what happens there. It'll be a big test for Deion Barnes because things work quickly and relationships are paramount when the transfer portal starts humming. I'll, I'll put the, give the final word here on Barnes to – his coordinator, uh, Manny Diaz. Here's the quote uh, that we heard from him in the video that Penn State posted on Monday as he was addressing his group of Nittany Lions defenders. Quote, Dion interviewed for this job every damn day, every day. His role may change, but the standard of his work doesn't need to change. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, high expectations for Barnes, the 30-year-old, uh, now with the reins in that defensive line room. Uh, let's focus on spring ball because there are so many other topics to get to. And we were back in Beaver Stadium's media room on Tuesday afternoon with James Franklin at the podium. Felt like old times. Only been a couple months since that Rose Bowl win for the Nittany Lions, but things changed so fast. 15 newcomers on this roster, a bunch of guys now focused on the NFL, have left campus. But we had a really interesting conversation on the offensive line with James Franklin uh, through his press conference and, and a couple of things you can glean from that one is that the offensive line health is in a way different place than it was last spring remember they couldn't even have a real scrimmage because they were down to I believe seven maybe eight available offensive linemen 
in mid-April. Uh, it was uh, formatted as much more like a practice that you would see on a practice field. They think, uh, James Franklin said, very optimistic. They'll be able to have a, a regular structured spring game uh, in April 15th in Beaver Stadium. And I think you got to look toward the offensive line. Not only are they bringing a bunch of guys back, but the injuries that we noted in 2022 have cleared up. Uh, they, they tend to, you know, guys recover. So Olu Fashinu, full go, uh, according to James Franklin for spring ball. Landon Tengwall, full go by practice three, as James Franklin kind of categorized him with some guys being eased in off of injury recovery. And then we didn't hear anything definitive on Nick Dawkins, but James Franklin was very quick to place him in the discussion with that competition at center. Hunter Norzad sliding over from the guard spot to center. Juice Scruggs moving on to the NFL, but James Franklin very quickly said Nick Dawkins is in that conversation. We'll get a look at practice. We'll see what we see from the offensive line. But, but guys, that's great news because Dawkins, to a lesser extent, he's a guy who was going to be a backup last year, barring some kind of injury ahead of him. But with Olu Fashinu and Lennon Tengwall, that's your starting left side of your offensive line through the first half of last season Mark, it is just a leaps and bounds situation when we assess what's going on for Phil Troutwine on the th on the field as spring practice gets underway compared to where they were in 2022. Yeah, as important as that is for the offensive line. And remember, this was a unit that going into last season, James Franklin uh, said – he was he was done making predictions. He was going to let their performance speak for for itself, and it, it it spoke pretty well. I mean, whatever, however you want to phrase that, the offensive line spoke well for itself or its performance, whatever. Uh, but it actually came out, and we're seeing the most depth that we've seen, boy, in a long time. I mean, it, it, we're going back at least into the mid two thousands, if not, you know, those great groups with Goon and everybody in, in the mid nineties. Why is this so important? You know, we saw that even with all the injuries last time at this year, they were able to come out of that with a very strong offensive line and a very deep offensive line. It's more important to me, and I think James Franklin touched on this, because you're trying to break in a new quarterback. And you have two quarterbacks who are in their second year in the program, and you have one quarterback who just arrived in January. And to have as many of the working pieces in place – while you're trying to develop them within the offense, you know, it's one thing when you have a 15th year senior in Sean Clifford who could go out there and just run seven on seven and figure out what to do. That's not the case with these young guys. I mean, they need to have that full offense around them, not in every single drill, uh, but throughout the spring at different moments to, 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 so, so they're comfortable within that offense. So I think having that healthy offensive line the upshot of that is that it's going to make life so much easier for the quarterbacks, for their learning curve. Things aren't going to be easy for the QBs, but their learning curve will be accelerated being able to play within the constructs of, of, of a normal offense as opposed to, you know, worrying how many guys you're going to actually be able to have out there in a given day. It's a stat I've kind of repeated fairly frequently here on the show in the last couple of months, but six offensive linemen started at least five games for this team last year. And it's, that's just kind of a ridiculous stat, uh, the way kind of the, the ebbs and flows of, of roster movement to have all that kind of retention. You could have even had Bryce Effner back if he wanted to continue playing football. He had uh, opted to retire, step away from the game. And that opens up a really interesting situation at right tackle. Not that Bryce Effner had his grips all over that spot, but he was the guy starting throughout November, strong November for Penn State overall. Caden Wallace was sidelined, missing a bunch of action uh, due to an injury he suffered against Minnesota in October. Wallace is able to get back on the field for the Rose Bowl. He plays about a third of the snaps at right tackle. He is back on campus as a fifth-year senior. The big question we had was, what would happen to Drew Shelton? Uh, started the last five games last year with Olu Fashion, new sideline. Fashion who turns down what was probably going to end up as a first round uh, opportunity in the NFL draft to remain on campus. He's your left tackle. There's no question about that. He's ready to go with spring ball. And this is where I think, Daniel, this is the next step for Penn State on the offensive line. You see it uh, across different positions. They have Big Ten starting caliber players who are starting the game on the sideline and, and then working their way in at different positions as the game progresses, as backup components, as rotational components. Right now, I think the next step is 
leaving some Big Ten quality, starting quality offensive linemen on the sideline because that's where your depth is. That's where your team is. That's where you're recruiting. That's how you're adding transfer talent. And I think they're going to be there this year because I I don't think it's not just one of those Shelton versus Caden Wallace situations. One of those guys is one of watching. But a guy like Vega Ioane, uh, someone like J.B. Nelson, uh, Nick Dawkins you could throw in there. They could be starting quality kind of offensive linemen come September who are going to be watching a lot of Penn State football because of what might be in place and, and how those competitions shake out. Mark, you may correct me if I'm wrong here, and Daniel, feel free to do it, but I just don't think there's been a situation where the Nittany Lions have entered a season where you're saying, that guy watching football right now, watching this offense play, he he would be a starter on a lot of Big Ten teams, and I think they're going to get there this year if they're healthy. Yeah, I mean, and, and uh, Daniel, I know uh, you'll have more to say on this, but as I was mentioning, I just don't remember – when they've had this sort of depth. I mean, I mean, frankly, with, with all due respect to some of the players who were out there, you know, there were times when there were guys who you may not necessarily have, have looked at as, you know, top level big 10 starters. And that's no disrespect to them. It was just the numbers or guys were banged up or they didn't recruit as well. And I think being able to put these uh, multiple classes together, I think showing some patience with trout wine is, is beginning to pay off. You know, initially there was some growing pains there. I think from the players, I think from Phil himself, uh, you know, coaching at this level, obviously he played at this level and beyond in the NFL, but, but coaching, you know, I think it's a little different at, at a Penn state than maybe a BC. Uh, but I think he's been able to get his feet under him and, and you're starting to see, uh, the the kind of fruits of that at, at this point. One other thing that 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 really stood out to me at the Rose Bowl, you know, we had that media day or whatever they called it when all the players were available. And you know, I think all of us or at least a couple of us had a chance to talk to Caden Wallace. And I was really wondering, I mean, is this guy even going to come back? I mean, when he wasn't banged up, he was struggling. People were critical of him, and he was like, "Oh no, I'm coming back. I'm definitely going to be back." Mm-hmm. And and I think that says something. I think it says something about him, and I think it says something j- just in the sense that he wants to be a part of this, still wants to be a part of this, wants to be a leader. And so if he's starting, if he's not starting, I mean, he he, he, he saw what was happening on the field. I mean, he saw what Shelton did. He knew if he came back, nothing would be handed to him, but he wants to be in the middle of that. And I think that speaks to kind of the what you're getting at, Tyler, that these guys understand that, okay – you may be good enough to start, but there may be somebody who's a little bit better than you, and you're going to have to, to fight. And that makes everybody better. Having that competition is only going to make everybody better. Daniel, I'm throwing it to you now, and, and I want you to address the offensive lineman. But without shortchanging the rest of the conversation, take it whenever you want to the quarterback position because James had, had a lot to say on that spot as well and how they plan on, on working with the three passers in this upcoming camp. Yeah, just very briefly with the, the offensive line and, and talking about the depth there. I think that you go back two years ago into 2021 and you look at, you know, Bryce Effner was the the sixth guy. It didn't matter if it was inside or outside. You know, he was the the first one off the bench. And now, and then last year it expanded to Effner and Norzad. You know, they were both rotating in uh, at, at right tackle and left tackle. And now you try to spin it forward into what it might look like this year. Um, you know, you've got Olu on the left side, but then, you know, Caden Wallace and, and Drew Shelton on the right side. So your your first tackle in the game could be Drew Shelton or Caden Wallace. And then you look at all those guys on the interior, uh, a Vanko Yuane, a J.B. Nelson, um, Nick Dawkins, you know, someone in there, they could all be, you know, very playable depth. So I think when you, you look at it that way, you can kind of see how things have expanded. And then I also think that James Franklin and Phil Troutwine have done a really nice job of, you know, rewarding players, you know, the fact that Efner and Wallace were rotating last year uh, because, you know, Efner had showed that he could play. Um, and, you know, the fact that they're rotating Norzad and Tangwall, um, you know, and it seems like the players, you know, take to that. Um, so I think the fact that they have shown that, especially on the offensive line, where it's a little bit harder than wide receiver or running back or, you know, defensive back or defensive line, something like that. You know, the fact that they've shown that you will be rewarded uh, if you're doing the work, if you're coming along, I think is something that you know can can go a long way too. Um, the quarterbacks, um, you know, James Franklin 
you know, had, had some things to say about it uh, today um, in terms of, you know, splitting reps. He said that Drew Aller, Bo Prabula, and Jackson Smolik should all end up uh, getting the same amount of reps by the time spring ends, except there is a scenario where Bo Prabula uh, ends up with the most um, as they try to, um, you know, it, James Franklin didn't come out and explicitly say that the Lion package is coming back. Um, but he did say that Bo Prevula does things a little bit differently. He has a different skill set that he could, that they can use. You know, he said that, you know, Drew Aller and Sean Clifford are more similar than Drew Aller and Bo Prevula. Uh, you know, that there's more of a, of a contrast there. Um, he said dramatically, that, a dramatic, dramatic. contrast. Too. Yeah. They're both yeah. from Ohio. Isn't that the key? I mean, both, <laughs> is that why they're... <laughs> um, and, and so he wants to, to see you know, how Penn State can can unlock that with, with Previula and, and what that might look like. Um, but, you know, based on what James Franklin said, I think it was last month, uh, he was asked, you know, basically who is going to be the first quarterback out there. Um, and he said that based on how last season ended and what the roles were last year, that will probably be Drew Aller. Um, but he talks about that he wants all of these guys to get as much experience as possible, get as many reps, you know, for someone like Jackson Smolek, it's getting him up to speed with the college game. You know, for someone like Drew Aller, it's you know to prepare him to you know be a Big Ten starter for a team with college football playoff aspirations. And then I think for Bo Prabula, you need to have him you know to be ready to to step in or add however he can uh, at any moment. Um, you know, whenever James Franklin talks about you know that angle on things, I still think about 2021, uh, and it it sounds like that you know, that it is a, you know, a major lesson learned that whoever the number two quarterback is, whoever even the number three quarterback is, that those players need to be ready at any given time to, to step in on a moment's notice. Um, and I think that that's kind of what you're, what you're building that foundation now. So when you get to August, when you get into September, October in the games that, you know, these guys you know, know what they're doing and, and are prepared. We'll see what, what I mean. There's a lot that I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if James Franklin makes it a point pretty routinely to mention that Bo Perbula can do things beyond the quarterback spot just to just to make sure it's in the, the mind of opposing defensive coordinators. Because you're right. I mean, if you're thinking Sean Clifford uh, is, is sidelined for whatever reason or he's pulled for whatever reason, the next guy in is, is Drew Aller. There's certain things that you can anticipate they're not going to inflict damage on you. Uh, if, if Bo Perbula is all of a sudden stepping into the game, there is a very different dynamic at the quarterback position. We have covered quite a bit that he's the kind of athlete that, that draws power five interest at multiple positions, not just the quarterback spot, but he's been very adamant for a long time. He wants to be a quarterback. Penn State has bought into that for years now, uh, dating back to his recruitment, and, and it sounds like they're fired up about what he can accomplish on the field as well this spring. Uh, we think that whoever the quarterback is at any given moment is going to be really loving their tight end room. It's going to be one of their uh, – uh, top commodities on this roster, even with Brenton Strange moving forward. And, and that's where you went in, in your questioning of, of James Franklin at the press conference, Mark, uh, mentioning some of the, the guys that are you know not yet established. Theo Johnson, we know. We've seen him start a bunch of games in the Big Ten. Tyler Warren has played a ton of football in this conference. You think you can kind of set it and forget it with those guys in terms of them staking steps forward, them being accountable. But the, the really intriguing part is all the other names in this room, short-term, long-term. Yeah, so I basically asked about uh, Jerry Cross and Khalil Dinkins and and Mega Barnwell. Uh, you know, not to leave out Joey Schlafer, but Mega, I was asking about just because of his sheer size. Uh, but isn't it funny how James Franklin never wants to talk about injuries until he wants to talk about injuries? It's like I didn't even ask specifically about Tyler Warren and Theo being banged up, but you know, it's there were some indications in the off season yeah. that they were, they went through some, each of them went through something, which isn't even a big deal. I don't, I, you know, it's not a big deal from, from what we were, from what we've gathered, it's nothing that will impact them, you know, once the season gets here. Uh, but he indicated that they're going to be limited and it sounds like they, they're probably going to be limited for most of spring practice. And he's viewing that as not a bonus for them, obviously, but as a bonus for the younger tight ends. And where that makes a lot of sense. And we've seen it in the past with veteran players who haven't been banged up where they've not gotten as many reps in, in the spring because you know what you're going to get out of them. You know, you didn't need to see a lot of Saquon Barkley, 
you know, his final year in the program to, to know what he was going to be able to do. And people may scratch their head a little bit with Tyler Warren on that, but he was banged up for most of last year. Going in, he was a guy that a lot of us looked at who could have been a breakout player, but something was wrong there. I forget if it was his foot or his shoulder or whatever, but something was going on, and he was never quite there physically. But I think the coaching staff understands what they have in him, and they know what they have in Theo. So to be able to get these guys out on the field, uh, he had mentioned Jerry. Then he, w- without even prompting, yeah, and Jerry Cross was had some issues when he came in as well. It's like hilarious. I don't talk about injuries. Uh, but to have Dinkins and Cross, I think it's really important because we've seen with this team that they're at their best when they have three tight ends that they could go with different looks and, and use that versatility. I'm not saying you're going to do that on every play, but some of their their short yardage stuff, uh, even some of their stuff that isn't necessarily short yardage, when you have that versatility to be able to have those uh, that extra, that third tight end that you could really rely on. And if you could extend that out to four, uh, it'll be great. With respect to Mega Barnwell, I mean – 269, I, I just I don't know that his ultimate destination is going to be tight end. You know, James Franklin said he has they've been uh, that from what he's heard, because they can't work with him directly until now, uh, that he's got great hands. But if you're at 269 at this point, and if you if you've seen Mega, he's a tall kid, but he's not he's not bulky, he's not heavy. I mean, it looks like he's got room to put on even more weight, and I could just see him growing into an offensive tackle. You know, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, But he said that he's open. Mega has told the coaching staff that he's open to doing whatever they think is in his best interest as his career goes along, but he wanted to get a first look at tight end. So I assume we're going to see him at tight end uh, this entire spring and see where it goes from there. I will tell you this, that – if he ends up being a guy that they decide to keep at tight end, he is going to be a unique weapon because they yeah. won't keep him there unless he can run really well, unless he has the hands. But if he's 269 already, if he grows into one of these 275, 280-pound tight ends, he could be something really unique. But the upside is there, whether it's tight end, whether it's O-line, whether it's D-line, wherever he ends I, ends up, I think you know he's going to be a good player for him. And Franklin actually mentioned that that he was another guy who came to campus, got, got a little tripped up in terms of, of, of a setback medically, uh, but his training and development has, has, has been able to power through that. Um, so big spring ball for that tight end room. A lot of guys have a lot to gain. And if it does come to the point where you're trying to convince Barnwell one way or the other, or maybe say it's okay to put your hand in the dirt for the rest of your life if, as long as you're playing football – Go check out the free agency results at the offensive tackle position versus the tight end position. No offense to our good friend, Mike Kosicki, but uh, you get paid at a different level at, at one versus the other. To your point, though, if it works out at tight end, could be a very unique, unique player. You got Andrew Rappelier joining that group in a few months. Uh, Joey Schlafer, as we talked about, another freshman. Uh, Ty Howell has plenty to work with. Daniel, in about a minute and a half, if there's something we didn't get to here, from the press conference as spring ball opens, what what didn't we get to that you think we needed to? No, I think we covered a lot of ground. That's uh, you know, a very very busy week, very fun week. Um, you know, I think that you know I hope everyone enjoyed all of me and Mark's uh, you know content from Chicago, and I'm excited to get out to Des Moines and uh, keep doing the same. And who knows, maybe we could continue our tour of the Midwest in Kansas City uh, next weekend. Hey, real quick, I want to give a shout out. Thanks to 24-7 Sports for allowing us to do what we do. Uh, very thankful to be able to send two people to Chicago, two people to Des Moines. Uh, you know, I, it's just when, when a team deserves this sort of coverage, uh, I'm glad that the network helps us step up to do it. Also wanted to throw out there that, hey, this is an exciting week. As Tyler mentioned before, we have a subscription special. Uh, our community helps us do what we do. Our VIP community helps us do what we do. So if you want to see us keep traveling, one of the ways to help is to to become a subscriber. It's well worth your while. We have a special now, 50% off an annual rate. You're going to get all of our great recruiting coverage, the VIP stuff, all the great VIP discussion on our message boards, insider reports from practice, VIP reports from Des Moines, you know, you name it. We have all that stuff. I won't go overboard because I know sometimes people get sick of us pitching stuff, but it is important for people to support the site. And for everybody who does, thank you so much. If you want to, you could go to our front page, 
there's an opportunity to get in for 50% off an annual subscription. Want to take a test drive? Here's something pretty cool. If you come on right now, 10 bucks for one month, $9.95, you get immediate access to a complimentary uh, subscription to Paramount+. Plus. Paramount Plus is carrying a bunch of NCAA tournament games, by the way, streaming them. So it may be worth your while to do. So that's my pitch and appreciate everybody who's already subscribed to the site and appreciate everybody who follows us and has been following us as we've been traveling around. Every time that Paramount Plus perk gets mentioned, I got to remind everyone, Big Ten athletics, including Big Ten football and Penn State football, are coming to Paramount Plus next year uh, along with uscla and usc big year uh, coming for so that comes with your subscription anyways uh we got a lot to get to uh later this uh this week we got to get a practice uh, in about an hour from now so we'll bring you the latest from that on the site we'll have some conversation with that uh, in a couple days on our second episode of the week along with intel from these guys out in des moines preparing for tip off of the ncaa tournament for the nittany lions tyler calvaruso continues to crush it with recruiting the visits are starting to stack up now including today as spring ball gets underway so prospects back in happy valley he's got a lot going on on the site we'll have him on our next episode to break down the latest in recruiting, uh, including what might be brewing in the commitment department for this 2024 class that continues to build. Stepping aside for now, we got to get back to work at lines247.com. This has been the Lions 24-7 podcast. Big thanks to Daniel Gallon, Mark Brennan. I'm Tyler Donahue. We'll talk to you real soon. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. Citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game full speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new survivor Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus.